Have you ever felt like you're overreacting? I'm Leah. And I'm Siobhan. We're two friends navigating our health in our 30s and the changes that have definitely had us feeling like we're overreacting at times. Together, we want to create a safe space where you can listen, connect and explore various women's health topics that can sometimes be misinformed, undereducated or even considered taboo. Now, we're not healthcare professionals, but we'll be sharing our own experiences, the experiences of others and speaking to the experts to help you navigate and validate any health concerns you may have, but most importantly, to remind you that you're not alone. Join us for the ride every month as we work on the courage to say, don't Don't tell me I'm overreacting. Welcome back, everyone. This is Don't Tell Me I'm Overreacting, episode four. And this episode, we are going to be answering your questions. But first off, Siobhan, how have you been? I've been pretty good, Leah. How about you? I've been great. I mean, we've spent the whole day nearly together. We've had such a good day today. It's been the Women's Cup final. Sadly, we didn't win, but it uh, it was a good game nonetheless. The girls definitely fought hard didn't they yeah we got free ice cream as well oh yeah that was that was the best bit (laughs) (laughs) and i met my biggest fan yes you did (laughs) you did meet your biggest fan literally we'll get a picture of that so you know what we're all talking about yeah but let's stay on track just so uh we don't get sidetracked because obviously that can happen quite a lot but massive massive thank you for all of your questions that you've sent in. There's absolutely loads of them. We have had loads of them, guys. And I would just like to take this opportunity to preface that we are not medical professionals. We like to think that we are, but we're (laughs) not, sadly. Uh, It is beyond our remit of expertise. However, some of your questions we have parked to one side for another time when hopefully we'll be getting some experts on that will be able to answer the more um, medical questions shall we say yeah. but we are going to answer all the ones that we can answer from our personal experiences um yeah so hopefully we'll give you some you guys some good answers to those yes we don't want to lead you down the garden path <laughs> well maybe a little bit maybe a little bit <laughs> but first off we wanted to just revise um what premature ovarian insufficiency is and endometriosis and ovarian cysts um, just for anyone who's thinking, what the heck are you on about? Absolutely. So the premature ovarian insufficiency is what I've been diagnosed with. And to be honest with you, it is basically menopause or premature menopause. So I've got a really great website that I would fully recommend anyone who has any questions around the menopause um, and different types of HRT, anything like that. It's menopausematters.co.uk. And I thought I would just read out because they've got a nice little introduction on their website as to what menopause is, what happens and the different stages as well. So here we go. Uh, Okay, menopause. What and when is menopause? So menopause, what happens? All women will experience the menopause. Natural Mm -hmm. menopause takes place when the ovaries become unable to produce the hormones estrogen and progesterone. Menopause can also occur when the ovaries are damaged by specific treatments such as chemotherapy or radiotherapy or when the ovaries are removed, often at the time of a hysterectomy. Ovaries naturally fail to produce estrogen and progesterone when they have few remaining egg cells. The maximum number of egg cells in the ovaries is present before birth, 
with a gradual reduced number already at birth, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. Gradual reduction then from puberty and then a rapid decline from 40, the age of 40 onwards. With less egg cells, the ovaries become less able to respond to hormones from the pituitary gland, can never say that word, Mm. in the brain. Follicle-stimulating hormone, also known as FSH, and a luteinizing hormone, known as LH, and less estrogen are produced. Levels of FSH and LH subsequently rise, and a measurement of FSH is sometimes used to diagnose menopause. The resulting low and changing levels of ovarian hormones, particularly estrogen, are thought to be the cause of the menopausal symptoms and later consequences in many women. So I'm just going to jump to uh, the different stages of menopause and what that looks like. So menopause, the term means the last menstrual period. Periods stop because the low levels of estrogen and progesterone do not stimulate the lining of the womb, also known as the endometrium, Mm. in the normal cycle. Hormone levels can fluctuate for several years before eventually becoming so slow that the endometrium stays thin and does not bleed. The term perimenopause is the stage from the beginning of menopausal symptoms. So think like your hot flushes, your anxiety and everything like that, your erratic periods to the postmenopause phase. Postmenopause is the time following the last period and is usually defined as more than 12 months with no periods in someone with intact ovaries or immediately following surgery if the ovaries have been removed. And menopause, when does it tend to happen? The average age of the natural menopause is 51 years but can occur much earlier or later. Menopause occurring before the age of 45 is called early menopause, and before the age of 40 is premature menopause, or also known as POI. Generally, women having an early or premature menopause are advised to take HRT, hormone replacement therapy, until approximately the average age of the menopause for both symptom control and bone protective effect. So yeah, very, very... Uh, very good website that and I think it just gives a nice clear overview of everything so I definitely recommend uh, you guys check that out if you do have any any questions around menopause awesome awesome and then coming on to myself Leah in case anyone's wondering I had endometriosis and ovarian cysts Um, and endometriosis is a condition where Tissue that's similar to the lining of the womb grows in other places, such as the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. Um, Endometriosis can affect women of any age, including teenagers. And it's mad because the more people I've spoken to about this, have spoken about, you know, having it really, really young, Mm. wild. Um, It's a long-term condition that can have significant impact to your health, um, to your life. But there are treatments that can help. Um, and we'll come into in a bit more detail about like symptoms because like, some of the some of the questions of um Yeah, we don't want to jump the gun to No, 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 no. Um and ovarian cysts, um so there's different types of ovarian cysts for starters. Um the ones I had were endometriomas, which are blood filled cysts. Sounds disgusting, I know. Um but ovarian cysts are fluid filled sacs. Um, that can grow on the ovaries. Um, most cysts are harmless and can disappear without treatment. Um, but some of them can obviously cause different symptoms and some of them can obviously not always disappear and need to be removed. Um, and there's also different types of cysts like dermoid cysts, which someone told, called a spooky cyst to me because, it's like, <laughs> because they have like a spooky cyst, yeah, because they have like hair and teeth in them. 
No. Yeah, yeah. My, How have they got hair and teeth in them? Well, I don't know, but they... That's for another episode. That is definitely for another episode. Well, I, I know quite Hall- a few Halloween people. Halloween special. <laughs> That's a really good idea. <laughs> Maybe. That's a really good idea. Maybe we could dress up as one as well. Anyway. Oh, my God. Let's, we're getting totally sidetracked now. Totally sidetracked. But that's a bit of an overview as to what the conditions are. We are now going to jump into the questions. Into the nitty gritty. Yes. Uh, go on, Leo. I'm going to, we'll take it in turns asking the questions. Yeah. So I'll go first. <laughs> so this one, this one's quite a good one. With what symptoms of menopause would you recommend seeing your GP? A regular period seems to be the big indicator, but other things could be causing this too. Other symptoms could also be explained by other things. Google is a minefield, don't we really know it, <laughs> which could either lead us to jump to conclusions to menopause slash perimenopause, but also steer us off in the wrong direction if it could actually be signs of menopause. Um, obviously, it's a menopause question, so it's, well, it's not directly linked to me, but you're welcome to answer this as well, Leah. I would just start off by saying, get to know your cycle. First and foremost, if you are on any form of birth control, it might just be a good idea uh, just to come off it. But you don't have to come off it forever, but certainly for a bit, just so that you're getting in tune with what is normal for your body. Because I do think with birth control, it does mask a lot of things that are going on. And that, that was certainly the, the case for me. Um, in my experience, it was definitely the, the absence of periods that I thought was a bit strange. But as you said in your question missed periods can be attributed to lots of different things and for me I did just think oh it's my body just trying to get back to normal after Mm. being on birth control and it was only really when I'd say I was having other symptoms such as the hot flushes and then the 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 episodes of missed periods were getting longer and longer Mm. um that I really thought do you know what there's something going on here yeah yeah but absolutely, just be just being in tune with your body, knowing what's normal for you, and make a timeline of events as well. I mean, this is uh, probably jumping the gun a little bit because I know we've got a question coming up about what things you should be taking to your GP. But just make yourself a timeline of events. You know, when did things start going wrong? It does does it coincide with anything in your life, your lifestyle factors? Uh, for me, initially, I thought, well. I'd, I do train a lot. Could it be? Could it be to that? Mm. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself these questions as well as ask your GP these questions. And it will be a case of process of elimination a lot of the time, particularly if you are if you are young. Um, a lot of GPs probably will say, oh, you, if, you, if you are my age, it looks like you are too young. You know, if we've talked about before that the average age of menopause is 51. So they probably will say, well, let's look to other areas that it, that it could be. Um, and I think... I, one of the things I was told was from my own GP was if you, if you do think you want, you know if you do think you are worried and you want to get answers right here right now sometimes paying privately to get those answers yeah okay it's money and it's and it's annoying that you've got to pay for that but I just think you can't really put a price on your own health no, either especially when it comes to getting the answers that you want in a timely fashion yeah so yeah that that would be my answer to that one, I would say. Okay. And I know obviously like the what you've given, the um, answer you've given ties into the next question slightly, but I know we've got a little bit more to say about that. Um, so question number two, if you have any worries that you might be going through the menopause or have any other women's health issues, what information would you recommend taking to your GP 
to be best equipped getting the right advice and support to avoid delay knowing what is happening to your body. Uh, what would you uh, would, would you add on anything to that? So, I mean, we spoke about this like quite a lot, but the information and it goes on to what you were just saying. But absolutely, the information that you have about your body is crucial and like you said about making timelines and having precise changes as well and I think sometimes we can go into appointments and not really be the best advocate for ourselves in the sense that and I know from personal experience but from myself I used to kind of excuse myself or kind of think oh well, it might just be me, like, overreacting or something. like Overy. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually intended that, but, yeah, there we go. But I think you've just got to really... You've got to assert your authority and go in there with the com- with com- um, courage and confidence in your conviction as well. Um, but I think definitely when it comes to information, like, like you said, just having some really um, accurate details and being really assertive in terms of why that is totally different for you um and I think the point that you made about you getting to know your body aside from other things and because even when I started making notes about when things were happening it's only when I kind of went back checked my cycle checked when I was like supposed to be ovulating checked when all these different things were happening that's when everything started to make sense and I was like oh this actually every time I was having this certain thing I would be ovulating. Yeah, I, I was the same. I remember, like, I'd have these hot flushes. And at the time, I didn't really put the, the two and two together. The, mm. the hot flushes were coincided at the same time of me not having a period. Mm. And then it was only, like, looking back, I was like, all right, that's, that's interesting. Mm. And then Google is a minefield. Oh, it's... Yeah. It can be your best friend or your worst enemy. But I think if you are going to go on Google, just always go on the NHS website for anything like that. Yeah. Because they do tend to give pretty good um accurate descriptions of the symptoms and what to look out for and i think just the whole moral of the story is if there is something wrong and you and you're worried about it don't think that you're being a hypochondriac just go and ask your doctor that's that is what we pay our national insurance Mm. for at the end of the day if you're unsure of your health go and go and seek help also as well don't be afraid to get a second opinion oh yeah oh yeah I mean, I've had about a couple of different opinions. More, more so recently. Um, we're, well, we're coming on to the medication and therapies in just a second. But since I've been on my medication, it seems to be that I'm being given different sorts of advice. So even even though Google's a minefield, sometimes the experts themselves can be a bit yeah, of a minefield yeah. in terms of what advice they give. And everyone's got a bias, right? Everyone's got a bias of what mm. they think is going to be right. But you need to know what's what's going to be right for you and your circumstances first yeah. and foremost Definitely. so yeah just go going in armed with what you know is right right for you and what's normal for you and don't leave your gp until you've got the answers that you were looking for amen okay so well the, these are two questions from two separate people but they are sort of one and the same mm-hmm. so we've got what medication slash therapy slash treatments can you take to support menopause and how do they help and then the other question was, I've heard of HRT, but what is it? How do you know which is suitable? So again, I'm just going to read a little extract from a patient information leaflet link that I was given uh, from my GP. And it, and it was actually really, really useful. Uh, so let me just get that up for you guys a second. 
And as I said, it's probably just going to explain HRT a lot better than I can. So all types of HRT. HRT stands for hormone replacement therapy. Uh, and they all contain estrogen hormone. If you take HRT, it replaces the estrogen that your ovaries no longer make after menopause. Some types contain a progesterone hormone as well. However, if you do just take estrogen, then the lining of your womb, so your uterus, will build up, as it would do naturally anyway, increasing the risk of developing cancer of the womb, endometrial cancer. Therefore, the estrogen in HRT is usually combined with a progesterone hormone as well, which is, again, another hormone that you would produce naturally. The risk of cancer of your womb is completely reduced. And I think that's a really important point because there is a lot of... There is a lot of scaremongering around HRT, even now, about the risk of cancer. And whilst I know that um, GPs will be reluctant to put a lot of people on HRT if they have got a, a history of mm. certain types of cancer in the family, and absolutely rightly so, but the fact that this this article is saying the, the, the risk of, or sorry, this patient information leaflet, the risk of cancer to your womb is completely, the word completely, mm. reduced by adding in the progesterone. Progesterone. In many HRT products, the estrogen and the progesterone are combined in the same patch or tablet. However, they can be also taken separately. So if you have had a hysterectomy um, or have had a contraceptive into, I can never say this word either, into uterine system, so like a marina coil, you do not need to take the progesterone tablets, basically. Um, so yeah, if you take an estrogen and you've still got your womb, you will need to take the progesterone alongside it. But if you haven't got your womb, then you can just take estrogen only. Uh, types of HRT. So different women prefer different methods of taking HRT. Mm-hmm. So again, everyone is different. And one of the things that I was like really anal about when I was trying to get on my meds <laughs> um, was I wanted to get it right and I wanted to make sure it was right from the get-go. But yeah. I'm quickly learning that you don't know, you can't say what's going on, on yeah, in your body yeah. and neither can the doctors so it is very much a case of trial and error. And there are loads of different types. And it is really just a case of trial and erroring, erroring finding what type works for you, your lifestyle. Um, I was put on the gel because they did say it would be easy to dose up and dose down. It'd be harder to do that with a tablet. Mm. But I am quickly realising I, I don't think the gel is going to be very practical for me moving forward because of my job, I'm sweating a lot. and. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is an absolute hassle to remember to apply it all the time. I might even do a little video of how I apply it as well. God, I love the sweat. Ooh. Uh, (laughs) But the options include, you can wear patches, you can take tablets and a topical gel or spray, which is applied to the skin. Patches and gel are increasingly popular forms of HRT. And I think they do tend to be the lower risk ones as well in terms of endometrium cancers. Uh, And many women find them convenient to use. Unlike tablets, patches and gels do not increase your risk of blood clots. So yeah, there is a risk with the tablets there. Uh, And it says here, your doctor or practice nurse can give you information about the pros and cons of different types of HRT. Mm. So yeah, if you were ever considering HRT, it's always best to speak to a medical professional and get their advice and have a conversation with them and find what is going to work with you in the long run. Uh, Yeah, I think think that's that on that one. I think you've covered that. Um, I think it's. We'll re- put the links to all these. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, question number five: When should you be worried about osteoporosis, and how can you manage this when resistance training? 
All right, okay. So with our in-house uh, personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I Well, I always advocate everybody in this country should be taking a vitamin D supplement anyway, because as we know, especially judging by the state of this summer, we don't get enough vitamin D at all. We are all vitamin D deficient people. You get enough vitamin D you on. You're always in blooming skiaff off. You, you... I honestly thought you were going to come out with something else then. Yeah, no, I was tempted, but I thought... Another type of vitamin D. It's a family. Anyway, it's a family affair. Correct. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, I would always advocate that people do take vitamin D anyway, uh, even more so if you think that you are at risk of osteoporosis. So including that in your diet is of absolute paramount, paramount for sure. Um, also, I think you should consider your, your other risk factors, like how old you are, obviously the older you are, yeah, you are going to have, you are going to be at more risk of breaking your bones because mm. as you get older, the bone health does decline. What is your family history? Have you, have you got any family history of osteoporosis? Um, and lack of physical activity is actually a massive contributor to really? osteoporosis. Yeah. Wow. Because when you resistance train, now I'm saying resistance train, and I know people who know me know I absolutely love weightlifting. Yeah. There is no secret about that. Do but, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but resistance training can be anything from like supporting your own body weight so even like you know doing some form of yoga is still going to be classed as resistance training oh, wow. any type of resistance training that is suitable for you that is uh, friendly for you absolutely it's going to increase your um your bone health and your bone density mm. it's also obviously going to help with your muscle strength which will help prevent um well, the risk of breaking your bones when you're older and mm. you know if you do have a fall or anything if you're keeping yourself physically active you're able to get yourself back up. You, yeah. you, you're keeping yourself in a good, in a good state for later life. Not the dreaded fall. Not the it's dreaded fall. It's always the fall. It is always the fall. Yeah. But if you are concerned and you are worried, just go again, go and speak to your doctor, go and speak to your GP. Maybe they can put you forward for a DEXA scan, which is what I had. But if you are worried about resistance training What's a DEXA around, scan? A uh, DEXA scan is just a really, really in-depth body scanner. Okay. And it can have a look at your bone density. Wow. It can also have a look at your body fat levels and everything oh else. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I'll leave that one out. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to know that one. Just the bone density. Um, so if you are worried and you think you are at risk of osteoporosis, then you can always go to your GP and ask to be referred for a DEXA scan. But with regards to training... As long as you're sensible and as long as you're gradually increasing the intensity and you're listening to your body as you exercise, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to exercise mm. as long as it's in a controlled manner. And if anything, it's going to be more beneficial for you than not exercising. And are the benefits of like, taking HRC when it comes to the osteoporosis? Yeah, so the, uh, the benefits of taking HRT do have a reduced a redu- sorry, a reduction in osteoporosis, okay. if you say that, because hey, the the estrogen does protect your bones. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's good to know on that one. Oh, it's like a library. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. Number six. Having watched someone go through menopause earlier than anticipated, how do you bring up the conversation from both checking in on that person and trying to understand it for my own future experience, especially with a generation that doesn't thrive on being vulnerable? Oh, that's a good question. It is a good question. 
I think... I think showing compassion, mm. first and foremost. I think you've got to go with the angle of, how are you? Mm. Are you okay? You know, do you, do you need anything? Just just being there for that person. Um, going from that angle, because I think if, you, if you're approaching with the angle of compassion, you'll find that most people will be more likely to open up about their experience and share mm. their experience. And then that can then lead you to then ask questions for your own I'd say your own benefit, but that sounds like totally selfish, doesn't it? But I do think going down the route of compassion, yeah, definitely. Like you're not just going to start barging in. Oh, so I heard you're going through this, right? Can you tell me about this and that and that? Or the or the <laughs> other one where it's like, so I'm guilty of this for sure. We're just being like, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, oh, yeah, like, like oh, you're like you're being a nutter, like, like, and like almost haven't like trying to make a joke about it, but yeah. it's, but it's not actually that funny. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get me wrong. Like, we would we well we have made jokes about our yeah our uh, situations, haven't we? Or after the trauma. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing the face of trauma. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just just showing that you're there for that person, that you care, and then just you just letting them know that you're there. You don't even have to say, "Oh, do you want to talk about it?" You just say, "You know, if you do want to talk about it, I'm always here. If there's anything that you want to get off your chest, maybe mm. if there's something that you you couldn't, you can't really say to your your GP because you're embarrassed." I think. Yeah, definitely the root of compassion. Yeah, I think as well, like, just to add on that, is just letting the person know that the door's open. So it might not be that you that um, you're going to talk about it there and then, but just saying, look, I, I'm, I've seen that you've been upset or I've noticed that you, like, you've not been yourself. I just need you to know that I'm, I'm here for you. If there's anything that I can do to help, I'm here to listen, I'm like, here to understand and... Again, because then it's not putting that person on the spot. Mm. And like you're saying, it's people who don't necessarily like being vulnerable. It's about allowing them to build up the composure to then be vulnerable. Yeah, because absolutely. no one's going to be... I mean, I've I've always been quite a naturally defensive person. So if someone was going to say something to me and I wasn't prepared for it, I would just hit the roof and be like, absolutely not. Who do you think you are talking to me about? Yeah. About things to do with me, get out of my business or whatever. But if someone said to me, look, like, I can tell you've not been yourself. I'm worried about you. I care about you. I love you. Then you're so much more inclined to turn around and go, thank you. Like, I'd really love to pick up about yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Blah, blah, blah. And we are like we are te- like terrible British people, aren't we? And that we like to keep our um, problems Affairs, private, yeah, yeah, yeah. under the carpet. But for me, that somebody just asking me that would mean like so much more than anything else. Yeah, really. definitely, definitely. Yeah, it just goes back to that old saying, doesn't it? Like treat treat others how you'd like to be treated, mm. for sure. Um, I'm a little excited for this question. You are excited. Excited. <laughs> Do you know what? I've done a lot of talk and you can answer this next question. Oh. So, next question. How did you explain your diagnoses, your feelings, your thoughts and uncertainty to your partner? And this does apply to both of us, but I'm going to let you answer it first. <laughs> so this, this... I feel like there's a story. I really like this question and I kind of... It, I kind of find it funny just because I am an oversharer. I mean... God bless Andrew and his ears because the things I've told this guy and he's still with me. I mean, there's there's what there's things like uh, he's not let me like show him. Like I wanted to show him something in the past and he's like, no, there's a, there's a line. Leah. What did you want to show him? 
So I was basically having loads of blood in my poo. Oh, I wanted to show, and I was like, "Will you please just look at this? You think it's normal?" And is that a symptom? Can that be a symptom? Well, for me, um, when it was more to do with the endometriosis, so what would happen is before my period. I'd have like blood in my poo, and then after the surgery, sorry if you're eating guys. It. Yeah, sorry. I should have. We should <laughs> we're say all, like, we're all friends here. It's yeah, fine. yeah. We should we should say like I just said up, but but anyway, the, the the reason why I'm saying that is because um, Andrew didn't really get a choice on whether I was going to tell him, as in like, like how did I, how did I, how did I explain the diagnosis? Because he was very much like on the journey for a long for a long for a long time, so. Um, and that's like just more because we've been together for so long and it's just a case of these things have just happened and little things have kind of um, fit together. So there's been circumstances or like situations that have happened years ago where now we're, we've both said, oh, this makes sense and this this thing, like these two things add up and everything. But I mean, and he was there in the room with me when I, you know, he came with me, he was really, you know, like an absolute rock um and I think one of the things is with that and I know it's not always I'm a warrior which is why I need to talk about it because otherwise if I don't talk about it I'm gonna harbor it and just make it out to be something it's totally not so but I also understand where some people might not feel comfortable to talk to other mm. people about things especially when it's to do with private things and talk to your partners yeah, and I think it's just about having something. It's about it's being open, it's being honest, um, and just just having that, just having that line of communication. And even if it's a case of having to like, if you're if you having to carve out that time and just say, look, I I need to speak to you about this, um, and then just obviously like, and I, I know it's so it's so easy to say like, oh, like be open, but. Just it's actually difficult, and, and to be honest, yeah. I was I was kind of the opposite because even though like I'll, I'll tell John everything, but John is very much a if you fall over, right, dust your knees off, get back up. Mm. Like he, mm. you know, if if you if you're ill, you've got you've got to be dying before he like looks yeah, at you. Yeah, yeah. So I was very much like I kept it a lot of it to myself, and he knew about my doctor's appointments and stuff. But I just thought he, he doesn't he doesn't really need to know. It was only like. Obviously, when my fertility was implicated, I thought, well, this is where I've got to share the information with him. Mm. And to be honest, he just looks a bit, like, bewildered. He's not got a clue what menopause is. He mm. I don't even think he knows what a period is half the time. Really? No, I'm joking. Okay. He does, obviously. <laughs> he does <laughs> but, now. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, he, bless him, he's, he does try to support me, but he's just as, well, he's more clueless than what I was, obviously. Yeah. So, it, it can be really hard to share share that with with your partner and it's not that he didn't mm. want to support me or that he didn't want to understand it's just that well as we know we're all, we're all a little bit ignorant to all these yeah it's a different world it's a different yeah. world isn't it and yeah I think um I think it's just it's just about having that time and being honest because as well also you can't take something out on somebody when they don't know like mm. you know they're not a mind reader at the same time so if there's something that you think you know might help your relationship as well in the sense of you know it, ha- having that communication is just so pivotal um for and, sure yeah just yeah it's just just being able to explain express yourself okay question number eight how does perimenopause and endometriosis affect your monthly cycle? Ooh, I like this. Yes. So it's probably good to look at this 
pre and post diagnosis, right? And yes, treatment or whatever. Mm. So how would you uh, how would you say it affects your cycle pre and post? Well, as I mentioned previously, um, my monthly cycle was masked heavily by the pill. Mm. Uh, it was only coming off the birth control pill that I would sort of go for like. I'd go for like three or four months of having a regular period when it wasn't like anything to worry about, like just a normal, you know, five, seven days, normal bleed, not particularly heavy, not particularly light. Mm. And then I would also then go for like a stint of one or two months of having nothing. And then the next period that I would have after that, it seemed to be like either, it was either two opposite ends of the spectrum. It was either very, very light, barely worth noting mm. or it was like it was like it had been saving it, itself up in the two months off like oh, it was like gosh. really really heavy yeah yeah um but yeah again i just thought maybe this is just my body trying to figure out its own natural rhythm its own mm. natural cycle so that was like pre-diagnosis and then obviously that accompanied with all the other symptoms i was having prompted me to go and get a diagnosis and it's i, I just say as the years have gone on they've got gradually less and less and less but i am still having periods mm. they are just i'm not um, i'm in the perimenopause state because i am still every now and then having periods um i don't know when they're going to be and really annoyingly um the progesterone hormone that i was taking that i am taking sorry it does cause a withdrawal bleed in the same way that it would do on your birth control pill when you stop taking it for seven days I think I went through a month of having my own natural period followed by a uh, medically induced period mm. for progesterone. No. Then back to a normal period again. Oh. So I basically just had a month of having a period. I was like, yeah. hang on a minute. I thought one of the bonuses of being menopausal is that you don't have, have periods. Oh. So anyway, it, it does see, I've, I've been recently back to my um, my GP and she's she's tweaked my medication slightly so that hopefully the way that I take the progesterone, it should sort of like even itself out. And your body does adapt. Your body does get used yeah. to it, obviously. Um, but I suppose the, the best word I can use to describe it is just erratic. Yeah. That's the best way I can, best word I could come up with to describe how it affects my monthly cycles. It's just, it's caused it to be very erratic. Mm, just like you. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> how about you? Um, so before um, surgery, uh, endometriosis would affect my period um, to the uh, really like quite quite significantly. Really, um, so my periods would be very very heavy. Um, and in case anyone's squeamish, I'm going to talk about blood. So just a bit of a heads up. So I pr- appreciate we didn't give you a heads up when we started just talking about what we just spoke about, but. Um, <laughs> I would be, within two hours, I would be having so much blood, losing so much blood in my period that I could feel like a tampon, like, you know, not coming out, but it was like, I I, I knew it was time to like change it. And there was, I was quite often, I'd quite often like leak. Um, I'd have to be changing like super, super regularly. Um... Um, and you really like I, I don't know about you but I really take I really took for granted having a, a regular period um, a regular normal period mm-hmm. really really took that for granted I mean periods aren't great anyway are they let's be honest but 
when when you when you're experiencing such a heavy period like that, mm. like it is horrible. Yeah. Like it's you just feel self conscious, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And like and you just felt used to feel like incredibly um incredibly drained, like to the point where I'd feel like moving my body would be an effort, which sounds bizarre, but I just feel so heavy, so tired. Um there were on some occasions where I would be physically sick um, because, and that was of like the sharp, like the, the progesterone that you spoke about before, because that's what your body releases to shed the wound lining. Um, and then other things like it would affect like my digestive system and all sorts. After surgery, I'm really happy to say that um, my periods have been loads lighter, like incredibly lighter, no, such a noticeably noticeable difference. Um, there's not as many like clots or anything like that um, and the pain isn't half as much as what it like honestly I'll be I, I the, the, the other month I was like oh what's wrong with my stomach I kind of feel like I've got like you know stomach ache or something and I was like oh this is just a period pain but it's just <laughs> I've just been so used to it being absolutely you know crippled over in agony that I just totally forgot that. And how about it was that? Yeah, how about so, And that's, that's, like, such an important thing, like... So I was listening to some other podcasts about things to do with periods and everything else, and I heard a doctor on it saying, you know, periods, like, are, you know, uncomfortable, but they're not supposed to be, like, that painful, right? And, and when, when that's happening, when you are experiencing that extreme pain, that they are, like you know, um, signs that you should take notice of and talk to your doctor about for sure. But, um, yeah, afterwards it's been like a, a massive noticeable, like noticeable difference. I mean, it, it used to blow up so much. I'd look like I was pregnant. It was ridiculous. And I'd end up wearing the same pants all the time. As in like, you know, trousers, <laughs> like the same leggings all the time because I was just so uncomfortable. But yeah, it's been, it's been a lot different, which I'm really happy about. I just need to keep an eye on it. Um, because my surgeon told me, obviously, there's a one in ten, 10 chance that I can come back and this can come back and things like that, so. And that actually re- leads on really nicely onto the next question. Um, the question number nine, from each of your experiences, if you could give one piece of advice to other women, what would it be? Do you want to go answer that first? Yeah, or? go on. I, I mean, we have touched on this loads already, but... It really is just a case of knowing your body and not being afraid to ask questions about your body. Uh, not not being afraid to, to challenge your GP as well because, mm. I mean, we, we do just tend to take their word as gospel sometimes mm. and we're mm. putting our trust and our bodies in their hands. But if you do feel like that there's something that they've... Uh, recommended to you that you think mm, actually no I'm not happy about that mm. like I had that recently actually I'd, the I did mention it before but the marina coil is a hormone replacement therapy alternative and she just the the woman's uh, the women's health clinic practitioner she just seemed really like want really pushy on me having this yeah, coil I was, like, I, I was like I was I don't I'm sorry I just don't want a foreign object floating around in my body 
<laughs> call me crazy. No. But I would just, but she just even that would make it make it so much easier for you. And I was like, I don't no. care. I don't no. want it. Like, no. yeah. I don't. I can't measure what how much progesterone that's giving me. At least I know what I'm putting into my body when I'm taking a tablet. Absolutely. But I can't. And also, like my mum. I mean, it, it, this is years ago as well. But she didn't have a great experience with a coil. So I was just like, no. Mm. So yeah. So you need to. You need to be in tune with your body, but also you need to be not be afraid to to stand mm. your ground and, and say what's not right and what's not working for you. Yeah. Like again, with the gel, I'm not sure it is going to be right for me moving forward. I'm, I, I think I am going to have to move to a different type of HRT because mm. I just don't think it's going to work with my lifestyle. Mm. No. Um, I totally like. I totally echo that. I think. Um, for me, the. You said you said it like in a nutshell, but I feel like yeah, being an being an advocate for yourself, um, because you, there's only, you, no one else knows you better than yourself, and you need to advocate advocate for yourself. And I had something very very similar where I was being told, you know, surgery waiting lists are really long. Um, in the meantime, we can put you on a chemical induced menopause, and I was just like, absolutely not, like no way, and. You like you said, you've got to do what's right for you. You've got to do what's right for your body, um, and don't be afraid to push. Like you said, don't be afraid to push back, um, because at the end of the day, you know all these things that are offered. They're so so general, um, mm. and it isn't one size that fits all, and that's okay. That's yeah. absolutely fine. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. And surrounding yourself with people that are going through something similar. Mm. Um, like Facebook for all its sins does have some great <laughs> you know it's not just your mum posting cat videos cat videos <laughs> yeah. you've been talking to my mum you've um, been talking to my mum <laughs> they do have some great support groups on them they really do and it's 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 an easy way of getting in touch with people that are going through something similar yeah so you can ask questions about their experiences and that is a cathartic experience in itself because it does make you think do you know what i'm not the only one going through this mm-hmm. and uh, these people they, they see me they see me they yeah, feel me yeah yeah um I, so yeah that, that'd be definitely another bit of advice would be to go and seek comfort and support from those that have probably gone through something similar um build the network build the network yeah, yeah. absolutely okay question number 10 what is the biggest thing that surprised you about each of your individual experiences? Ooh. So I would say for myself, I was really surprised at how resilient I actually am. Because oh, that's a good one. I well, I've always just thought like, oh I'm a, like a I'm not a wimp, but I've always just been like, oh, you know. Because I've always thought, especially when it's to do with like period pains, I thought it was just me being like, well, yeah, but a bit like being a wimp and just, you know, it's not that bad type thing. But going through like the pain and going through the waiting and the toing and froing and this and that and da 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 da, and I actually came around, I came away from that experience thinking, wow, actually, like, I am pretty i'm pretty solid like yeah. it was so much more than what i thought i was like, phys- like physically well i'm proud of you boo thanks babe but i'm um, also in the sense that you know because i'm self-employed um and when i was in pain i wasn't sleeping that much but i was still getting stuff done i mean granted it was like 
it wasn't um, the most easiest of periods at all. But I was really quite, I, that that really surprised me that I'm actually quite, I'm actually quite capable of quite a lot, mm. um, which made me even more determined to just like get this, get these cysts out of me. <laughs> I like that you've turned that into a positive. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try and think of, I'm going to say a negative and I'm going to say a positive. The biggest thing that surprised me is the lack of education. Oh, That's probably been the thing that shocked me the most. I was just like, I mean, I know I am going through menopause at an unusually mm. young age. However, it I'm, it's not unique to me. Yeah, it's going to yeah. happen to everybody at some point. Yeah, It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen... Help. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen to all of us. Sorry, girls, but it is. And why... Is it not taught to us? Like, if it's something that we're going to go through and it's potentially probably like one of... I mean, starting your periods is pretty traumatic, right? I remember starting my periods. But I I don't think it's as traumatic as this. No. And I just think, why? It just really, really shocked me. Anyway, hopefully that that does seem to be all changing now. Thank goodness. So, yeah, that that surprised me, the lack of education. Mm. But a positive surprise has been... How the, the how the people have responded to that to, well to us doing this and that the, like, the positive feedback that, not that it surprised me obviously I knew that people are lovely and they were, they were always going to respond in a positive way but I would say the the amount of like feedback that we've had um, yeah. that's really surprised me how many people have come forward and said thank you so much for sharing your experience I've been going through the same and that that's that's a nice. That's a nice surprise. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I feel like I need to add something into that as well. I think cool. something else, like like you, like you were saying, something else that surprised me was when you start talking to people, the amount of people that say, oh, yeah, I've had that. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, what? Yeah. And how is this so common? But like you say, there's less hard thing You're just not it, aware but, to it, though, are yeah, you? You but, are ignorant to it initially. But, yeah. Okay. Question 11. Oh, and this this one really makes me sad for this question. Um, self-hatred. What are the methods slash ways of looking in the mirror and not seeing a fat, ugly person? Or even some days not even being able to look in the mirror. It becomes very easy to forget all you have achieved mentally and physically and that you aren't just the ugly, fat elephant who is oh. looking back at you in a mirror. Oh, yeah, I, I really, really hate that question because I hate that somebody is actually feeling like that. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. 100% we've, we've all been there. We've all... And that's... Society is a lot to blame for that, especially in the terms of how society depicts women. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, we're, we're meant to be so many different things at once, spinning the plates. Um, how can we possibly deliver? And then the minute that you feel that you're not delivering... You think you're a failure. Mm. Um, I'm going to presume that this question comes from somebody who is is possibly going through menopause because a lot of those feelings I did have towards myself. I, I was very like, what an idiot. Like, why have I not done something about this sooner? Mm. And I hate myself for going through this. I hate that I'm not normal and I hate oh, this and I hate that. Shit. But... I guess what you got what you got to remember is you're not you're not defined by you, number one you're definitely not defined about by how you look no way uh, number two you're not defined by what you've been through no 
you defined by who you are as a person, yeah. What you what you give back to people, and I think you've got to you've got to make that list of positive affirmations about yourself mm. that aren't necessarily about how you look. Either I know that you touched on there, it becomes very easy to forget what you've achieved like physically. Well, don't forget them. Put them at the forefront of your mind always. Mm. Like remind yourself of. Now do you know what? I'm damn proud of this X mm. Y Z. You've you've got to make your own little like body positive bubble always to yourself mm. that's not to say that you're always going to feel on form all the time mm. you are going to still have those days where you probably still have those dips but you've, you've got to just keep reminding yourself that you, you're not you're not defined by how you look or how you think people think you look mm. I think as well like it's so easy to get into a loop of negativity whether that's like um things that like just things that you do in your day like habits are so it's so easy to fall into the bad ones right and then mm-hmm. like, it's really difficult to move into the like into the positive ones and I think something I'd add on add on to that is just to remember like everything is temporary as well you yeah. know because the way that you're feeling now you know that this isn't this isn't going to be forever it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be forever um but I think like you said you know something that something that helps me or has helped me is like I do try and journal like it's not every day like I do I try to do it every day I try to um write down like what I'm grateful for something that I've something that I've done that I didn't think I'd be able to do um like a quality about myself and just writing out how I felt and what's really interesting is since doing that I have felt so much more happier within myself because like you said like I was really similar like why why am I going through this and why haven't I why haven't I picked up on this before and loads of other things that you start trying to, you know, hate yourself for. Mm. And well, it's it's trying to break that cycle of, of the negative um inner voice and quieting the chatter and and sometimes it's about accept sometimes it's about acknowledging acknowledging the voice. But almost saying that's why I I would question. I would question the voice. I would question what, well, where is this coming from? Why why am I thinking this about myself? And like write it down as well, mm. and just sort of try to deconstruct where where these feelings are coming from. Yeah, and sort of almost have like a, a, a counter argument for them in like the same way that you would. Um, like you you could politely disagree with a friend couldn't you in that same way you need to kind of like have a counter argument to well no actually yeah i disagree with that um i'm not i'm not fat and i'm not ugly because x y z and find like a good few things that you really like about yourself and you you just need to keep repeating that those those little positive things yeah. that, you, that you know that are true about yourself to yourself Something something I was listening to in another podcast, um, it was a psychologist talking about uh gremlins and goblins and it's like you the, the negative the negative voices and like gremlins are the things that can like be like weaved out and fixed, but I think it's like the goblins that are the things that um are there and they're always gonna be there. And something I was I was listening to, it was saying about um even giving giving it a name, like giving that that that, that you know that that, inner, that that voice that you hear that negative voice, giving it a name and, and just acknowledging it and saying, no, what well, me? I've actually done it. So mm-hmm. my my goblin is called Bog Rot. <laughs> no, my go, my goblin's called Bog Rot, 
And where have you got that name from? I don't even know. It just came to my mind. <laughs> but when I'm having those negative thoughts, I literally think to myself, like, right, Bog, right. Or, and when it, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a negative thing. It's well, if, if I'm being lazy or if I'm being, like, unmotivated or whatever. But, right, come on, Bog, right. Like, that's actually, I see that's a great. Um, that's a great method, actually. Yeah, so I see you. You're welcome at the table, but I'm going to tell you why. Like, we're going to move on from this. And also, we need to just, like, put it out there. I'm talking about this really flippantly as if it's dead easy to do. This stuff's hard. This stuff's hard to sit with yourself and it's think really about difficult. these things. And it takes time and you have to carve out that time for yourself and yeah. literally be like, right, this is this. is, And you've got to put a lot of thought into it. And what's bizarre is, in for some reason... We're not encouraged to sit and think about things. Like, everything's go, 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 got do this, do this. But it's like, actually, we have to sit down and think, why is this? Why is that? Mm. What am I going to do? Uh, and and that's, that's what I'd add to that. Uh, yeah, I really like that. Thank you. Bog Rock the Goblin. I know, yeah. Maybe we should really draw him. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, question number 12 is, have you ever lost your mojo but still had a goal? How did you get your mojo back? Oh, that's a good one. Mm. We are all, no matter who you are, no matter how motivated a person you are, we're always always going to have those peaks and troughs in motivation, right? Mm. Um, and typically when we are highly motivated, we, I mean, I know I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure a lot of people do this as well. I tend to put like a big list and it's a really like unrealistic list of goals mm. and expectations on myself no one else has put these goals and expectations on <laughs> yeah. other than me yeah. and it's great while i'm highly motivated because i can tick everything single thing off but then the minute i'm not feeling motivated for whatever reason um you know due to life and work stresses if i am then unable to like tackle that list that list that long list that i've created for myself becomes very overwhelming yeah and then if i don't get to tick it all off i would feel like oh my god i'm failing yeah so to anybody who feels like they're losing the mojo you've got a goal what is the minimum that you need to do every day to get to that goal like the absolute bare minimum so i'm going to use exercise as an example because that's like my field of expertise obviously pt i'm pt um so exercise using exercise as an example you might have a goal of like getting stronger mm-hmm. so what is like the absolute minimum i'm going to commit to every day to okay. get towards my to my goal and for some people might be like well i'm gonna hit the gym every day but that might not be that might not be doable no especially depending on whether you've got kids mm. going to the gym every day so but what can I do to get myself stronger? Well, what can I easily commit to? Yeah. Well, I can do 10 squats every day. That's that's non-negotiable. I can definitely do that. I can commit to 10 squats. Yeah. And that seems, that feels easy. And you'll find more often than not, you'll commit to that goal of doing 10 squats a day. Mm. But you won't just stop at the 10 squats. You'll probably think, well, I'm going to throw in some press-ups there as well. And then you'll be like, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to do three sets of this. Mm. And usually just by starting that motivation, that mojo ball does start rolling. But obviously, it's getting it rolling in the first place. Mm. Um, it's that age-old saying, doing something is always better than nothing. Yeah. That's a really cliche thing to say. I'm well aware of it. But it is so true. And you've just got to view it as... If, you, if you're doing the absolute bare minimum that you can commit to every single day, you're still going to move yourself to your goal. Yeah, all right. It might not be as fast as you want it to be, but you're mm. still moving in that direction in yeah. comparison to doing absolutely nothing and just staying where you are. 
I love that. It's good, isn't it? I love that. And then now I'm throwing out all, like, all these random things and not quoting the people because I just can't think. But I heard something from someone where they said they make the bed every day because at least they know that if they don't get anything done in the day, they know at least I'm that they've made the bed. That is me. That is, yeah. Yeah. I, like, me and John have got these ridiculous pillows that we definitely don't need everywhere. <laughs> That John hates them to be fair he would quite <laughs> gladly burn them but that is me I'm, yeah. I am that person I need to make my bed because if anything else goes wrong in the day at least I've made my bed and yeah, it looks nice yeah 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 and I get home at night and I think oh, oh doesn't the bed I want to get into that bed <laughs> and throw all the cushions on the floor that are pointless see ya <laughs> but yeah and getting your mojo back as I said if you just start if you just start doing something it, that mojo will come back with you doing something mm. but just don't overwhelm yourself with targets goals and you can apply that to any point in your life that are unrealistic you've you've got to set yourself an absolute you've got to like it's almost like you're negotiating with yourself yeah yeah but what where do, what do i actually want to do and what is the absolute bare minimum mm. i am going to commit to yeah there's a big difference yeah. in between between um what you want to do and what you can do like yeah. i'm like i know from i used to manage people and even managing myself like I've fallen victim to it with work like I've totally been thinking about what I want to achieve and not what I actually can but yeah great advice and you know what Uh, just very very quickly before we move on to the next question don't forget we are living in a world now where everything that we see everyone seems to be productive everyone seems to be highly motivated (laughs) that is not true you're only ever seeing someone's highlight reel all the time and I can guarantee even those people that look like they're smashing it will still have those days of feeling not very motivated. Um, I guess as well, recognise when you do feel highly motivated. Maybe just like make a note of it. Mm, yeah. uh, does it. Is it a time of day? Is it a time of month? And then yeah. at least, like, especially if you're, a, if, you're, if you're a woman, you will have uh, in a line with your cycle when you're at your highest estrogen levels, you will feel more motivated because you're yeah, feeling good yeah, about yeah. yourself. And then as you're coming into... Obviously, time of the month. The Those great levels weeks. are, yeah, they're the great weeks. <laughs> and then as we come into that sort of time before our period, that is the time when we feel a bit like, oh. And then obviously, if you've got problems with your hormones and your periods, that's going to be having a massive impact on your yeah. on your motivation. So just make make a little note for yourself. When am I feeling most motivated? And then maybe they're the weeks that you go. Do you know what? I'm not feeling motivated at the minute, but when I have those weeks when I'm feeling motivated, I'm going to do that goal in that week. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. All right. Um, question question 13, it's you next. Okay, question 13. Are you automatically referred to fertility after diagnosis? I presume this is referring to both of us. So we will defer this to a professional because it's like, it's, you know, obviously we're not professionals um, in that field. In my experience, (laughs) speak for yourself. Um, No, I I definitely am. Um, In my experience with endometriosis and ovarian cysts, for my case, obviously everyone's case is completely different. Um, I wasn't, but um, I also didn't pursue it at the same time. So it's not because, you know, if I would have been interested in it, then I probably would have done. Um, I asked more questions about it, but that's not you know that that's not for me so that's it for me in my from my opinion um from my personal experience and again just prefacing it is a personal experience everyone's gonna probably experience something slightly different mm. with their, their gp or their 
health professional. Um, I was automatically referred just simply because of um, my age. In fact, the first question that my GP did ask when all my blood tests had come back and it was indicative that I was going through menopause, she said, listen, do you want kids? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, like, I don't want the option off the table. She said, yeah. I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to refer you. Um, however, the referral lists are ridiculously long. <laughs> well, yeah, I can say that again. Um, what I recommend that you do is if that you are serious about having children is that you pay to go privately. And that is that is my GP telling me that. Yeah. You know, you said you've not you've not got time to waste. And she even wrote, bless her, she even wrote down like the, the number of a fertility specialist that she knew of. And yeah, and I, I did end up paying, but I, I paid to get an answer. And mm. you know, my so this was all like this was like back end of last year, start of this year. My actual GP NHS referral, so the one that I've not paid for, mm. only came through last month. Wow. So yeah, I think um, I think it'd be helpful if they actually said how many people are on the list because it just gives you a bit of perspective uh, yeah it gives you perspective and just allows you to weigh up the options because then say for example if you're thinking oh well you know this is this is this long maybe i can save up and still like you know get my answer and it's still before i don't know but, but this don't forget this is like uh, this was a rush because i'd mentioned that i i wanted kids if you if yeah. you were asked if you had like sort of expressed it, oh, do you know what? I've already had my kids. I'm not. I'm not too bothered. They probably yeah. wouldn't automatically refer you. I, I was speaking to my mum. I was asking my mum. Shout out to Denise. Uh, <laughs> a question about this and about because she had a hysterectomy when she was about my age, about thirty four. Really? Yeah, thirty four. Um, and when she so she had a problem with her coil that she had fitted which actually prompted the start of her mm. having a hysterectomy. And the, the doctor that she went to go and see, she already had me and my sister, obviously. And the, the doctor that she went to go and see was like, oh, really, really didn't want to give her a hysterectomy because she was so young. Mm. Um, but she was like, listen, I've, I've had my kids. I just, I, I've, I've had enough of all these symptoms that I'm getting. Mm. I, I just, I just want, I want it out. Yeah. Basically. I just want to go through that, get rid of it. And they were like, I think they were quite pushing for us to not have it. I've totally lost my channel of thought with this question. <laughs> I was going with it. But I think, yeah, I think you, I think it depends on your per personal... Yeah, there we go. Brought it back on track. It just depends on your, your personal circumstance, where you are at with, in terms of having kids. I think if you are, if you are really wanting kids, I, I think they will put you... I think I would have thought yeah. they would put you through. I'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Question 14. Lucky number. What would you want to see change when it comes to women's health in either legislation or in the community? Um, personally, I would just like to see a lot more education. Um, 100%. A lot more communication. Um, and just a lot more acceptance. Um, there's definitely a generational uh, difference when it comes to talking about things, which I completely respect. Everyone's different. Um, but I do think that, you know, talking to people about things and 
Um, they, I, I do believe like, when people say a problem shared is a problem half, like when you start talking to people, people can give you advice. Yeah. And, I think it just else. needs to be less taboo. Yeah. I think there's, there is still, like, people are embarrassed to talk about it, but I, I think the, the, the taboo needs to be, like, just got rid of. Mm. I think the better words get got rid of them. Mm. Um, but absolutely education. More education in schools. Mm. Like, great that you're giving out um, lessons on periods and sex ed, but yeah, we need, we need to be seeing more women's health-specific education being given out to young girls because women's health isn't just... It's not just saved for older women, is it? No. It's, it can happen at any point of your... You set your sexually active life. But I do think as well, I think it should be for boys and girls. Correct, because, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, interestingly, I overheard these two young girls, it must have been like 10, I think, and they were saying to each other like, oh, um, well, we had the chat, the, the teachers told us about the, about like periods and everything the other day, and one of the girls went... Oh, but the boys um, went into the room. That I, they should have stayed in the room. They should hear about this too. And I, I literally have to stop myself from going like, yeah, right on, sister. Like, yeah. absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it's it removes that initial stigma then of it being taboo. Because I think when, when you're splitting a classroom up, and it's the same for learning about things that boys go through as well. I know it's not as much yeah, as girls Yeah, well, no, because there are potential things that men, men go through, yeah, absolutely. But I think it then, I think once you're splitting a classroom up, you're all then you're creating, a, you're creating yeah. a taboo. Because you're like, oh, well, what, what, what are they? What are they what, talking about? What do they about? know about? Yeah. When, oh, are they not supposed to know this? And there's all these... All these miniature little lines. But then you've got to think, like, if you're, if you're a single parent and you're a father, like, say, you know, if for whatever unfortunate reason, like, the, the mother's not around anymore, if you're, mm. a, if you're a single parent who's a father with a young teenage girl, yeah. you need to know this. You yeah. need to know. I don't, I'm sure that there are men out there that will have themselves 100% clued up. But totally. Yeah, more, more education is what I would like to say. Okay, question 15. Uh... Leah, what symptoms should I look out for for ovarian cysts? Well, there is a document. Obviously, like the NHS goes into um, a lot of detail on like you know the, the typical symptoms. Um, for me personally, um, I had a lot of pelvic pain, um, and that was. And just to stop you there, because actually, the the next question after that, question sixteen, is. How would you describe the endometriosis and the cyst pain? Just while oh. you while you're on this, we can kill two questions. So, so it were so it felt like a stabbing pain. Um, it felt like if, to describe it, it felt like someone was stabbing me with a hot, rusty knife, and if it was like it was like it was stuck in me, and someone was just twisting it and twisting it, and really, really slowly. Um, and it was agonising, like, it, it was definitely the most pain I'd ever experienced in my entire life. Um, that was the main uh, symptom for me, uh, especially, well, obviously, aside from feeling it, obviously, um, I felt it when I had a full, full bladder as well, uh, and then also little things like 
I say little things like it's like not not not, not a problem. <laughs> um, but I'd have like uh, really I'd have a lot of difficulty like emptying my bowels. Um, it's like TMI, but this is like you know real talk, people. Um, I'd feel full a lot um, to the point where. I couldn't, I was having to like not eat as much because if I ate, and when I say too much, I don't mean like I was gorging myself. I mean, just literally, if I had three meals in a day, guaranteed, I'd probably end up being sick because um, it felt to me like the cyst was blocking my bowels. So I literally just couldn't go to the toilet. And especially when I was on my period, that made it like 20 times worse. Um also have really heavy periods um with ovarian cysts um again like feeling feeling like so so full a lot of other people have things like um pain during sex i didn't have that um so again like when you're reading things something that i'd say is like just because you don't tick all the boxes yeah don't don't think that it's not worth investigating it's it's the same with menopause as well like you Mm. read lists of symptoms and they're as broad as they are long yeah yeah and you're not going to tick all the boxes like some women don't have the hot flushes some women yeah. don't have the sleepless nights no some women can get like very very mild symptoms but it's just being aware of what's not normal for you definitely but uh, just to just to add on to that as well what i will say is i was really aware and this is another thing as well like about listening to your body i was really aware that the pain that i was experiencing was from the cysts like it, I, I knew that it wasn't Come, I, 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 I felt in my heart of hearts that this was coming more from my the cysts rather than the endometriosis, um, and th- my backing for that is the fact that when the cysts were getting bigger, which was proven on ultrasounds, that I demanded they cyst, the, the the pain was getting worse, and on the side on the sides that it was just bigger. Quickly on that again, I'm just I am jumping to another question, but I just think. Is, these can all be like covered in, in one go, go for which it. is great. Um, what pain relief helped you? Oh, a lovely concoction. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, I, I try to kind of, um, I don't like taking medicine just because I think you know, your body is so clever, but obviously, I'm not going to be a martyr, I will take it when I definitely need it. So, the pain relief that helped me was caprofen, capro, caprofen, um, maximum strength. Uh, ibuprofen which are 400 milligrams and then also um dolo which is like just para- just paracetamol which is 650 milligrams so i was taking a 650 milligram um paracetamol and a 500 milligram ibuprofen uh once a day and that would that would normally like take everything that was that would normally like um Stop it, right? Stop the like feeling the pain, but it, I had to up that like over mm. the like few over the year and everything, and it was it was getting to the point where even that was getting a bit was was starting to wear off, and that's when I was starting to think like, oh, like I need to I, I need to actually yeah, this can't yeah, happen. And they obviously they give you, they mean that you come away from. I mean, when I went in, when I went into hospital for one of the times, um, they gave me what's that um opioid um I can't think oh, of the word um it's not cocodamol that's not the right thing but they they gave me like really really strong uh medication but I was like I'm not taking that unless 
something drastic happens but also other things that helped me just as a bit of a heads up um heat patches were absolutely amazing um especially the deep heat ones they were just gorgeous and yummy but <laughs> at the same time a hot water bottle does just as good does the trick. um making yourself comfortable i also found like lying on my left hand side used to help yoga helped massively um especially like I had to like deep, dig deep and just roll into the pain a little bit and like you know, get get on those pressure points, roll into a ball, do cat cow <laughs> on that again. But um, <laughs> um I'm never gonna be able to listen to you say cat cow ever again without thinking about your yoga moves. Yeah, other things that yes, the yoga really helped and also just having a play around with what I was eating, um I was trying to up my fibre to try and help my bowels more. Um, and this was obviously all pre-op, was it? All pre-op. What, um, what's your advice for post-op recovery? What What did you find helped you post, post-operation removing your cysts? Going slow, like, oh my days. Going slow and all, like... I'll look at this in two different perspectives. So, like, in terms of, like, your mind... Well, and your body as well, but going slow and just being very, very kind to yourself. Because one of the things that's crazy is that, you know, you've had all this stuff that's gone on inside of you. And because of it, it's all inside, you can't see that. If you had like a big scab on your arm, you could see how that's progressing. You could see how that's healing. Because it's inside of you, it's really easy to forget that, you know, once the bruises fade, once the scars start to kind of heal, once the glue, you know, crusts off and drops off and whatever, delightful other things happen. Um, it's like, you're really easy to kid yourself that, oh, it's done now, I'm healed. But actually, the healing is a lot longer than you think. So like, be kind to yourself. Um, physically, like I said, go slow. Um, uh, make, like, give um, something that I really found directly after directly after um surgery with having peppermint tea because they have to um put a load of air into you to obviously for the, so the surgeon can like get to places um you are you do feel like bloated and i was like burping loads and actually <laughs> it sounds so pathetic <laughs> i got my mum to was it, was, was it andrew i can't remember to like rub my back in a certain place oh. and it literally burped me like a baby but i, I was like Bleh. it was ridiculous um, and I'd just say, like, take those, you know, take the little steps, say, you know, yeah. you know and, and, but I, they do advise, you know, you can start walking, you know, after, as in, like, uh, normally after after a week, obviously everybody's different. Um, but, yeah, so um, after surgery, keep eating the right, like, um, making sure you're, you're eating, like, getting your veggies in, like, building up your strength and just rest. Protein. Rest. Yeah, just rest, rest, rest. <laughs> that's right. not just me with protein to rest. That's just protein no. will help with your recovery post any operation. Mm. So yeah, keep protein intake high. I just need to say it again, rest. Like, I, I can't explain to you how important it is to just for rest. Sure. And don't feel lazy. Your body is just like doing amazing things at recovering. For sure, for sure. Right, we are nearly there, guys. We've got two more questions to go through. Uh, go on, question, I'll let you ask. Question, oh, thank you. Question 18. How have you found managing your symptoms with everyday life and work, ex- everyday life, work, etc.? <laughs> In a word, very difficult. Well, that's not a word, that's two words. Very difficult. Not very well. Not very well, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been, yeah, hard. Yeah. But 
the especially in like my case the medication the hrt has been a lifesaver it's been a godsend it has pretty much eradicated all the symptoms i was having and um, the, the worst ones for me were the hot flushes the, wow. were the sleepless nights and yeah you know what it's like when you have a bad night's sleep just imagine having that bad night's sleep like over and over again mm. for what feels like is going to be forever um, and yeah. it's not good and obviously your your, your function day to day is hindered when you've got a bad night's sleep so obviously that goes out into all other areas of your life it's not just your work it's your relationships yeah it was yeah it was difficult and it's difficult again especially when you don't really know what's going on with you and you've not got the answers and you're thinking why mm. am i like this am i losing my mind mm. which is pretty much how i felt um but in terms of managing um nutrition is always going to help you as leah said before looking after yourself eating well that mm. is always always going to help you it's always going to help you help your health um, trying to trying to control the things that you can control. So taking out those, trying not to stress about the things that are not, it's not in your so, control. It's so difficult, yeah. but yeah, it's so so true. And like I to- I totally agree with you. I think I think also it's it's just having some. It's, it sounds like well, yeah, just have self compassion. Like like it's just a switch that you flip on. But I think just allowing yourself. To accept, like, you need to, like, it's, you know, don't need to, but what I found helped me was just accepting the position as much as I could mm. and communicating with people and rather than being, rather than shying away from it, you know, saying, this is, this is the situation, mm. I'm going to get this, this, this done. And like you were saying before about goals, it's then being real, realistic with yourself because it is actually really, really hard. Yeah. But then you've got to set your boundaries at the same time. And also, we're we're saying this like we must sound like oh we've got it all sussed and that we <laughs> yeah we, uh, like you know oh we're we're managing fine now like we're we're not no. we're absolutely not yeah. well, we are but we're not we we're at a stage where we're able to talk about it and we're yeah. more open to it. But I don't know about you, Leah, but I'm still having days where I'm just like what the fuck is happening to me? Mm. What is going on? Why is this happening to me? I'm still having those days where I do find it hard managing it yeah. with my everyday life. And I think I, I naively thought the minute I got my, my medication, I thought these problems are all going to go away. And, yeah. they, and they didn't. No. Like, they, they're still very much there. And and it's still, it's still a learning curve and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And yeah. it's all still like, very confusing and it's scary. And it's, it's, it's hard, but life is hard and you've, you've you've just got to you've got a role you've got a role with the bad times mm. as much as you have with the good times yeah no totally and i think um i think for me yeah that you do kind of think that oh i've had the surgery now so i'm going to be okay and actually the recovery was so much longer than what i thought it was going to be i could pro- I'd probably say now um, especially because I was, I went in having so much anxiety and I was having those panic attacks and everything. It's only now where I feel like I come back to myself and that's coming up to just it, like, it's a couple of weeks, it'll be six months after surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, there's some days where you're just like, oh my, oh my gosh, like what's going on? You know, where am I, where am I at and everything? But yeah, you, yeah, it's, it's not always, it's not always easy, but you you've got to remember like what yeah. you're made of and and yeah it, it, nothing is nothing is um permanent and in terms of uh like i just thought as well practically managing any symptoms that you might have um one thing i, I never did this and i so wish i had but this was um 
another lady um, who's, who's gone through the menopause in terms of managing the hot flushes. And I thought this was a great idea. I was like, wow, I did not think of that. So you said you used a hot water bottle. Mm. She used to like fill her hot water bottle with water and put it in the freezer Ooh. so have at night nice. so then when she did have a hot flush in the night she could just get up like a water <gasps> bottle on her and that'd help like cool her down oh, yeah. um obviously if you are sweating a lot with your hot flushes on menopause just make sure you are drinking plenty salt, of water yeah you're replacing your salts look looking after you looking after the things that you can look after and, and really you know just looking after yourself getting those early nights as and where you can um they do say as well in terms of managing your symptoms with menopause, like cutting the caffeine and the alcohol can really exacerbate your symptoms. So just cutting those down on those a little bit as well mm-hmm. uh, could help you. Have you got any practical things to add? Oh, I'm not a very practical person. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, you said about yeah. yoga, didn't you? Yeah, yoga no, and... I think, I think um, what I will add on from what you just said, so I didn't completely cut alcohol. I mean... I did pretty much stop uh, drinking it whilst I was kind of waiting for surgery, just more because I just wanted my, myself and my body to be, you know, at, at its best so it could have a better chance of recovery. Um, but I guess I like, just remembering that your body is... I think you go into machine mode, don't you? And you, it's like going into basics of, mm. like, of survival, like, my, my body needs this and this and that. Yeah. And, then you, and, it, and, that's, and that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. The last question, and this has got to be my favourite question. I know we haven't like we haven't said who's asked any questions, and um, obviously people's privacy and everything, and respect that. But I've got to do a shout out to the person who has sent this question because it is my partner, Nolsey. I'm a little bit scared um, about this. Thank you so much for this question, Andrew. I really appreciate it. We both appreciate it. The question is. Why do men have nipples? <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I don't know why I expected out of all the less. out of all the questions, nothing to do with like, oh babe, like, how are you after the whole year? Nothing. I mean, I know he's been there, so he doesn't. You know, he doesn't. Why do men way. have nipples? So you know this. You know the well, Andrew. Um, and again, this is pulled from a very reliable source, um, aka NHS. Men have nipples because in the early stages of fetal development, all embryos follow a similar pattern before sexual differentiation occurs. Both males and females develop breast tissue and nipples, but in females, these structures continue to develop to support breastfeeding, whilst in males, they typically remain undeveloped. So there you go. basically, everyone starts off as a female until it is determined otherwise by the male sperm. And something else, I don't have a reliable source to back this up, so if it's not true, then you rela- can come off. Not- I'm pretty sure I read that the clitoris... <laughs> it- have I- what a way to end an episode, nipples <laughs> and clitorises. <laughs> My favourite things, I'm joking. <laughs> um, the clitoris... So the penis grows from being a clitoris. Yeah, and that's I why think... the nerve endings are like, are, 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 are where they are. I mean, like I just said. I need to Google this. Like I just said, I mean, this, this is coming Google. from my brain, which is not always, a, well, it's not often a reliable source. Maybe well, like, maybe one of you guys can um, chip in with this. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, I, if you think I'm wrong about that, then please feel free to go and talk to us for him. 
But thank you for all of your questions, everybody. We've right. absolutely loved going through these. We know that we've not got round to all of them. We are going to be. We are going to defer the ones that we definitely, definitely couldn't answer because we need a professional to answer them. And the basically. medical degree. <laughs> yeah, that would really <laughs> definitely help. But with anything that we've said, obviously, please remember that this is our opinions um, based on our own circumstances. We're well aware everybody's um, circumstances are totally different. And if you have got any questions or anything, then please do contact your GP, um, anything, you know, someone who can help you um, get it sorted. Obviously, we're not, we're not professionals. We are not. But we are professional idiots. Yes. Grade A. Grade A. Top quality. Well, until next time, guys, it's been it's been great. Yes. And if you have if we've not covered a question that you're thinking, oh, I definitely want to know that, get in touch with us. We can we'll do this again, so there's nothing to worry about. Um you can follow us on our social media on Instagram at don't tell me I'm ovary, O-V-A-R-Y, acting. And we look forward to speaking to you again. But thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nipples and clitorises. Which do you prefer? Oh, actually, no. I don't want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> 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 I would have thought it's fairly obvious. Ooh. Ooh.